Hi, welcome to Day Message. My name is Dai Qing Yuan, pastor of Abilene Bible Church in Abilene, Texas. D A Y Day is my name initial, and daylight has come since Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We are here to share with you the truth of the Bible. History and theology, so that you might have eternal life as well as a wise life here and now. God bless. All right. Good morning. Ni <laughs> hao. Very good. Howdy. <laughs> Now we are continuing our study on I Christian, and today I am teaching on a touchy topic. I give. Well, I'm, I'm teaching on money. Okay. Well, that's why I'm wearing a Christmas color. <laughs> um, it, it's not that I pray that I get the money. I pray that all of you. Are living in a blessed state by God. That every day is a Christmas, okay, and that has something to do with giving of money, okay. So today we are concentrating on the Old Testament teaching on tithing. Uh, this is part of the bigger series on I Christian, and uh, we have preached on I believe, I confess, I pray, I worship, I fellowship, and the next part of natural Christian life is I give. And uh, uh, tithing is a touchy topic. Okay, in today's churches, you hear very little preaching on tithing. Mostly, you're gonna hear people saying this is an Old Testament concept, and it has passed. It does not apply to New Testament sense. And uh, to New Testament, there is no standard. It's really just a matter of heart. Well, I'm not going to make judgment on that, but I'm going to say, if the Old Testament teaching on tithing has something to do whether or not believers of God acknowledge Him as our King and live in a blessed state, okay. If that has something to do with it, and it has not been abrogated by Jesus, then to neglect this concept is being irresponsible, because it's the duty of the teachers of the church to make sure our believers live in a blessed state by God, not barely getting through the doors of the gate of heaven, but being blessed. Okay, it therefore is my duty to just object objectively follow what the Bible teaches, and then we're going to think through in the New, Old Testament and New Testament, and then theologically on the connection, what should be continued, and what should not. Okay, there are things that are should continue. There are things that should not. We we all understand that, right? See, Jesus did abrogate the law about food. That's why I can eat crabs without guilt. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and and my daughter ate a what was it a scorpion? Okay, and I did too. I had a bite. Nothing really uh, tasty, but <laughs> uh, we're just trying to, to be adventurous. And I don't have a guilt. It's something yucky, but I just try to show my brave braveness, you know. <laughs> uh, but 
again, it comes to the issue of what the Bible teaches and what state of life should we live in. Okay, so let's just go through the concept of tithing in the Old Testament, and then we will go into the New Testament. We'll touch a little bit today and more next week uh, and see what the Bible says. We try not to just be polite and be timid or be aggressive or oppressive. None of those. Be objective. Follow the Bible. The first time the concept of tithing appeared is in the story of Abraham. And uh, uh, we know that Abraham was a Babylonian. Uh, he lived in Ur of Chaldees, which today we have found the city. It, it's on the, um, the mouth of the, the two rivers uh, in Mesopotamia. You know, the rivers of uh, Euphrates and the Tigris, they melt together. And the, at the connecting point, that's Ur. He came out of there, and uh, God gave him a promise that I will give you a land, a nation, and a blessing. Three gifts. And the three gifts later are all expanded by further covenants. But the first one is called the Abrahamic covenant. And he said, I will give you uh, this land. This land you don't know, but just follow me. And uh, he did follow. Abraham followed, and they went to the land of Canaan. That was his first act of obedience. However, when he left there, he brought Lot as his potential heir. Lot was his nephew. And Abram was old. He was about 70 years old, and he had no son. And when man is at that stage, you think about future, okay? What's after you? When you are as Abram, uh, who had quite... A possession of wealth, you would think about where, where should it go to. He hopes, he hoped that he would have an heir born of his flesh, but God did not give him. God promised, "I will give you descendants as many as a nation, as many as the stars in heaven and the sands of the sea." But it has to start from one, right? He still didn't get that one. So Abram, remember, Abram was a very calculating person. Actually, he brought a potential heir, just in case, okay? Uh, God was not literal in his word, so he brought Lot. And later he asked God, what about my uh, chief servant, uh, Eliezer? He's from Damascus, and that word sounds like heir, you know? Do you mean him? God said, no, 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 it means born from you. Oh, okay, maybe from me, but not my wife. He tried again. So finally, God said, no, I mean from you and your wife, okay? That is, when God promised something, he is literal. He means it, and he wants that to happen as it says, okay? But Abram, remember, he was not a perfect man. He was the father of faith, but his faith was built up step by step, okay? So when he first went to Canaan, he did not have strong faith. Uh, God gave a famine, and he did not even pray. He just left. He went to a place where there are food, and that was Egypt. However, Egypt had a king, and the Egyptians loved women, and he had to lie in order to keep his wife. Well, the lie resulted in his wife becoming the wife of Pharaoh. She did become the wife of Pharaoh, and God interfered after fact. This time, okay. And uh, uh, later, 
the, the, the Pharaoh was afraid because all of his family had visible diseases, probably skin diseases. And he, he prayed and God revealed to him, you took another man's wife. And he had to let Sarah go and also let go the big dowry. So Abram became super rich, not because of his righteousness, but because of his sin. He came back to Canaan with a lot of cattle and herd and sheep. And he, uh, his household grew so big that he and Lot could not stay together. You see, Abram at that time, he already realized his sinfulness and his unworthiness of God's love and election. So he built several altars, and uh, theologically we have names for them, altars of grace, and etc. And that's probably the time when he was, in the New Testament sense, born again. He truly became a believer of God. He recognized God by his grace and sovereignty. However, Lot was also a believer. The New Testament confirmed that he is a righteous man. However, Lot never had the spiritual life that his uncle did. Lot never built any altars by himself. He just went to church when his uncle dragged him. Okay? And we have people like that here, right? <laughs> and uh, so Lot, when Lot had a lot of um, cattle, he said, uh, Uncle, we cannot stay together. We need to separate, which is reasonable. But his uncle uh, actually did not feel good about that. You know what? Because Lot was the potential heir, Okay, And when an heir asks for the inheritance before the death of the older person, what are you saying? I wish you're dead, right? That is not very respectful. Okay? However, Abram, because he, I think he was born again, he, was, he became a true believer, he was graceful. He not only gave to Lot what he thinks appropriate, he also... Let Lot choose the land wherever he wants to stay. Theoretically, all the land of Canaan belonged to Abraham, right? God said, this is your land. But Abraham said, you choose. Wherever you choose, I will not go. I'll go elsewhere. That is being meek, isn't it? Okay. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Well, how could that be literally inherited, literally realized? It was literally realized on Abram, okay? He was meek, and he inherited the land. After the fact, uh, God said, you stand up on the mountains, wherever you see, it belongs to you. And wherever you walk, you land your feet, it belongs to you, okay? And Lot chose the land by, um, by sight, not by faith, because he was not a really a spiritual believer. Okay? He was a worldly believer. He was saved, but not victorious. Okay? It's that sense. Okay? And he chose a good land because it, it was near the lake and it has water and it's green. Okay? So he went there. However, that land was close to the five cities of Canaan, especially Sodom and Gomorrah which are famous for their sinfulness. Uh, And he did not care about that. He just went. And gradually his tent moved closer and closer. And finally he lived in Sodom. And uh, the uh, Sodom was the head of a 
league of five cities. At that time, there were no nation states in the sense of territorial nations. All that time, the governments, the states are city states. Okay, and uh, the five cities formed the league in Canaan. Its head is the king of Sodom, and however, they are not the only uh, league of nations. There was another one, stronger one, in the east, in Mesopotamia, and. Uh, their head was the king of Elam, uh, which is in today's uh, Persia. And its members include uh, Babylon and included uh, some other nation states. And uh, the prince of Babylon then, the crown prince of Babylon then, was named Hammurabi. And in, he, in the Bible, he is called Amraphel. Am or Ham is a pagan god. Raph uh, or is a uh, uh, great. Uh, El means God. So either Ham is great or Am is a great God. It's the same name. And they happened at the same time. Okay. So this story happened in the year 1862 BC. This is according to my calculation. Uh, this is according to the so-called the short sojourn theory. Uh, I believe that the sojourn of Israel, 430 years, it began from the calling of Abram at the time of the uh, exit of Ur. And the 400 years started from the birth of Isaac. Okay? Because God said, your seed shall be sojourners for 400 years. When did Abraham have his seed? When he had Isaac. Right? That's okay. So that's 400 years. And so if you count the, the uh, patriarchs, uh, sojourning in Canaan, that totally count, uh, counted for 220 years, uh, including five years for Abram before he arrived in Canaan. And what is left is 210 years. That's when Israel stayed in Egypt. This is a theory that has been there for a long time, but people today neglected because we try to match up the secular long history by stretching biblical history. Well, you could think the other way by shrinking the other one. Okay? You can match them. So uh, that's the way I uh, tend to do. Anyway, I just put it, here, put it here so it can have a sense of the flow of history. In 1862 BC, after 14 years, when the League of Nations in um, Canaan served the League of Nations in the East, they rebelled. They said, I, we don't want to pay the, uh, the, the gifts, what do you call them, tribute. We don't want to pay the tribute, which is pretty heavy. We want to keep it for ourselves. And then if you are a great king or emperor, you got to punish the rebellion, right? So the eastern kings send an army led by crown princes, not the kings. Okay? Uh, and uh, one of them, his name is Amraphel. Today we call him Hammurabi. Okay? And he, uh, they, they came and they conquered the the states in Canaan, and they looted their people and uh, their wealth. They are pretty wealthy. Okay? According to the biblical law of war, the conquerors can own the land, the people, and the gods of the conquered. Okay? Uh, you take their gods, their images, into your uh, temple of God, and you put it in the back room so that you can show that your God is greater than their God. Okay? That is the way. And the people will become, the people who are captured will become slaves. 
Okay, that's one of the source of the slaves, uh, the war captives. Okay, and uh, uh, when Abram learned that his nephew Lot was among the captives, he was very concerned. He didn't. He Lot did not treat him well. However, he did love Lot, uh, and he wants to redeem him. How he had three hundred eighteen house trained. Servants. That means he is quite a big chieftain of a, of a big clan, okay, a small tribe. And he took these 316 young soldiers and did a night, nighttime attack. And he defeated the first United Nation. Okay, that was a miracle, was it? It had to be a miracle. Okay? He defeated them and he drove them away and he took back the loot. Everything that was taken away from these nations, now taken back. According to the law of, of war, to whom do these things belong? To him. To Abram. He can own them. Okay? It belongs to him. However, when he came back, he was met by two kings. One is the king of Salem, named uh, Melchizedek. One is the unnamed king of Sodom. Okay. And so one is a righteousness, one is evil. And Abram chose which side that he will associate with. Uh, we know that New Testament made a big deal of Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem. Salem means peace. So he is the prince of peace. Okay. And Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. Well, Jesus is the king of righteousness. So we can see that, uh, and he is both king and the high priest. Well, that happens to be Jesus' position. So we can see that Melchizedek was a type for Jesus in the Old Testament. And Abram, at that time, accepted the blessing from Melchizedek. Okay? Uh, that means this priest has higher power than Abraham. Okay? And... Uh, what did Melchizedek say? He said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heavens and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has de de delivered your enemies into your hand. What is he saying? He's saying, Abram, you defeated the strongest nation states by a, strong, a small private army. That is a miracle. It is a blessing from God, the God Most High, to whom I am a priest of. And may God's name be blessed. It's now your time to show your acknowledgement. And how did Abram acknowledge that his victory and possession were from God? He gave him a tenth of all. A tenth of what all he got, which he owns, okay, is his income tax, kind of. A, he gave a tenth to, to God, the Most High, by giving it to the priest. Okay? That's the first time the idea of tithing appeared. And its meaning is that tithing is an acknowledgement of divine blessing. It is an saying, it's an acknowledgement uh, saying that all my income are from God. I'm giving a tenth to God just to show that you are my God. I acknowledge that you are the governor of all, and everything I've got is from you. 
that's an acknowledgement. Okay. And uh, the next time tithing appeared was in the story of Jacob. This is in year 1709 BC. Uh, this uh, is the time when, Ab- uh, when Jacob was 77 years old. He was still not married because his brother Esau married at the age of 40, but he married two Canaanite women, and his father was not happy. Uh, however, his father still loved Esau more than Jacob, even though he knew that Jacob was the one chosen by God to carry on the covenant of God. So Isaac was in a denial. You know, uh, He has a conflict of spirit with flesh. He will not pass on the blessing to Jacob because he loved the other son more, knowing that that's not the chosen one. Uh, so it was a tact of tactics of delay, I think. He just delayed and delayed. He didn't do anything until the time when uh, Isaac was old and... Uh, Blind, And then uh, Jacob couldn't wait anymore. He was waiting for his father to give him an appropriate wife. So he can do the right thing and he can carry on the covenant of God. So in that sense, was Jacob a seeker of righteousness? He was. He is the one that minds God's things and God's rules. Uh, that may be part of the reason God chose him. However, he was a weak, fleshly worldly person. He is as calculating as his grandfather. Okay. So he found out, no, I cannot uh, leave this to God. I have to take things into my own hands. So he cheated his brother and got his birthright. That's not enough. He wants 100%. He wants to get his father's deathbed blessing. And he and his mother uh, made up a scheme and cheated again. And this time he did get the uh, deathbed blessing. However, with that blessing... Esau was robbed of everything. And when Esau knew that, he became angry. He wanted to kill Jacob, and Jacob had to leave. And he never saw his beloved mother again. And uh, when he left the land of Canaan, he was directed to go to uh, his uncle Laban's home. Uh, and uh, it, it was in Mesopotamia. And on the way, he went to a city it called Lud. Then and then later, it's called Bethel. Beit El means the house of God. It's named by Jacob. Because when he laid down and slept, put his head on a stone, the rock of salvation, he had a dream in which he had a ladder to heaven. Based on that rock of salvation, the land, the heaven and earth are connected. And it's through Jacob. And, and he woke up and he prayed. And he said, God, if you give me uh, food and clothing and safety, and you bring me safely back to this place, I will give you a tenth of whatever I got from you. What did he mean? He is saying that, God, uh, I, I want to believe that you are my God, and you can bless me, but I don't have faith. I uh, want to invite you to bless me. Okay. If you give me all the things I are asked, then you will be my God, and I will give you a tithing. Okay. So what is tithing here? Tithing is an invitation of divine blessing. Okay. Uh, it, it, it is saying, God, I want you to bless me, and I promise that if you give me what I needed and I asked, hopefully everything I asked, 
and then I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. Okay? That is an acknowledgement that you are my God. You are the source of my all, in, all my income. So the next time the concept of tithing appeared was in the law uh, of Moses. These were written between 1446 and 1406 B.C., during the 40 years of uh, wandering in the, in the wilderness. Moses commanded Israel in the law, Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If therefore a man wishes to redeem part of his tithe, he shall add to it one-fifth of it. For every tenth part of herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He is not to be concerned whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. Or if he does exchange it, then both it and its substitute shall become holy. It shall not be redeemed. What was Moses saying? He's saying that when you have your harvest or produce or your uh, herd and you know animals, everything that you have gone in the future, they are all blessings from God, and one tenth of them belong to God. Okay, they are already His. You're not giving a tax like giving to a king. You're giving to the government your money. This is giving to God what is already His. Okay, because everything is His. He gave 90% of that to you and only 10% want you to give back as an acknowledgement. He says, that's already His. You got to get that concept right. You're not giving Him your money. You're giving back His money. And also, you should not count uh, this is good and bad. Uh, sometimes people suddenly become conscientious when they give uh, gifts to God. And they say, well, this I should keep. I, I keep. I want to give that instead. You know, when you count your animals, the tenth where your rod lands on is the, the Lord's. It's holy. It's separated. It's uh, set apart. It belongs to God and not to you. And However, what if the tenth happens to be a bull? It is ten times more expensive than a cow. Okay, What about the herdsman? He thinks, well, I, how about I replace this with... I just move my rod a little bit you know, to this one. Uh, uh, well, no. God said, if you want to replace it, well, the one that replaces is as holy. Both of them will become holy, belong to the Lord. And if you want to replace the one, you need to give to, the, uh, to a price that is the value of this one plus 20%. So, is it good to count penny with God? It's not really worth it, is it? <laughs> okay, um, that, is, um, that is what Moses is saying. And the next time tithing appeared uh, as a portion of the f- uh, full-time servants of God. This is in Numbers 18. And uh, Moses said, To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance. So this is actually Moses saying the word of Yahweh. Okay, God said, I have given the tithe of Israel 
as an inheritance to the sons of Levi, in return for their service which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of the meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. What is happening here is that the the Levites, especially the Aaronites, the the priests, they became a substitute. For the Israelites, in dealing with God, God is holy. Human are sinful, and what happens when human sinful humans approach the holy God? They shall bear their sin, and they shall be punished. Okay, rightfully, and usually that means we will be killed. Okay, and. So we cannot approach God. No regular people can approach God in the holy of holies,、uh, in the temple, in the tabernacle. Who can do that? Only certain people whom God has ordained, specifically chosen, not because of their righteousness, just because of God's sovereignty. God chose them, and God pardons their sins and uses a substitute for their sin. What is that? The animals. Okay, as their substitute, and God put the animal's blood on this、um, mercy seat, and God will not see the law below it. Therefore, God forgive their sins, so they can approach God. However, even so, those priests and Levites they shall bear their iniquity. What does that mean? It means the full-time servants of God. Number one, it's a special calling. It's not of our own、uh, volitional choice. It's a divine ordination, okay. And、uh, in the Old Testament, it's just by birth from Aaron and、uh, and from Levi. And New Testament, it's a special calling. You have to com- be confirmed in order to become a full-time servant. It's a special calling. It's different than become a servant. Everybody should be committed to be a servant of God. However, the full-time servants are special callings because it has its price. Okay, the prize is number one. You shall have no inheritance. Okay, you are not going to earn、uh, money through secular work. I mean, of course, in the beginning, if you found a church, you might depend on part-time job. But once your church is big enough to support you, pastors should not have secular jobs. Should not take other income. That. That is not our inheritance. Our inheritance is from God, and what is from God to the pastors is the donations from the believers. Okay, so、uh, how do they bear their consequences? Well, if you are full timer of God, you are put on under you're under duty to pray for your people, for the sheep God put under you. Okay, and at times I I may be commanded to fast and pray for some of you. Some of you will know, some of you will not know. Okay, why? Because God told me so. Okay, does that influence my health? Maybe. <laughs> sometimes it's good. You're losing weight these days is good,、uh, but sometimes it could be bad.、Uh, I mean, we cannot do too much long-term 40-day fastings, you know, too closely. 
that does influence health. And uh, uh, sometimes when I pray for people, I'm commanded to, pr- to be the one that fills the gap. I have to pray, God, fill me in the gap of that person. Okay. What do I do when I fill the gap? I bear the iniquities. If there's a disease that's supposed to give to that person, it comes to me. If there's a, a spiritual struggling, a demon possession, a fighting with the spiritual world, which the person may or may not know and may or may not be able to withstand, and if you're the one who fill the gap, you bear the consequence. You will lose your health. Okay? So those are the duties of the full-time servants of God. So that's why it's not an easy thing to commit to. Okay? However, it is a blessing. Okay? It is a holy calling and it's a blessing. Nothing can replace the joy with it. You know? In this country, there is a survey. What kind of job is the most satisfying and fulfilling? <laughs> uh, people find that those who do non-fit, non-profit organizations feel more prof- uh, fulfilled than those who do with you know, profit companies, you know, um, because they feel they're doing something meaningful, even though they earn less. And what is the most fulfilling job in this country? Pastors. They, if you count the, the, the work per hour, it's, you know, the pay per hour is very little. You know, the people who are owners, usually they actually earn less per hour than those who are employees. You know that? Employers, they work 24 hours a day, Okay. They actually earn less per hour than the employees, okay? But they feel more fulfilled, okay? And for the pastors, if you count, you know, per hour, it's, it's, an, it's token. However, it's the most fulfilling, fulfilling job because what? You're, not, you're doing something meaningful related with God and with people. And these are the eternal existence. Right? Everything else passed away. So uh, here it is saying that the tithing is the portion from God to the full-time servants of God in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament times. Okay. And uh, it is a perpetual statute. The next time tithing appeared as a... Uh, Okay, it's the same topic, okay, tithing as a portion of the full-time servants of God. What happens to the, to the full-time servants? Should they pay tithe? I once stood, you know, sat in the church when the pastor said, uh, no, the, the pastor's income comes from the tithing and he should not pay tithe. I left that church. I sat in another church where the, the pastor is, was always the first to put his tithe on the plate. That church, in that church, I came to Christ. Okay. It's a spiritual thing, whether God is present. Okay. And uh, uh, here, God says, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given to you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithe, which you receive from the sons of Israel, and from it you shall give the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. So should the Levites pay tithe? Yes. 
Okay? And I guess that would apply to the to the priests too. They shall pay tithe, but not the Levites pay tithe by giving to the priests. The priests shall just give it to the temple, you know. And uh, later we're going to mention the kings. And here uh, is an, the next time when tithing appeared as a portion of the fellowship offering. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So, a tenth of all of your income, and you will bring it, to the central place of worship, not in your own city. You're going to the central place of worship, not uh, in your own neighborhood. Uh, so in the Old Testament, it's to the uh, tabernacle. First, it was in, what was the city? It was in the land of uh, Ephraim, um, uh, Shiloh. First, it was in Shiloh. Okay? Then it was uh, in Jerusalem. Okay, there are two central worship places okay, in Israel. So Israelites should bring these tithing to the central place of worship. It, they cannot consume them in their own place. They have to bring it to this place. But once they bring there, they, they give most of it to the, the temple, but they can consume part, part of it during the time they enjoy this uh, Holy Land tour. Okay? So it's part of their fellowship offering. You know, if you bring a herd, you know, a cattle, you slaughter there, you give part to, the, you know, to God and partly your family enjoy. Your f- children and your uh, family and your servants, and also you're going to share with the Levites. Okay? That's the way to do it, as fellowship offering. Only in fellowship offering you can eat partial. All other offerings are given to God. Okay? But in fellowship offering is the last and the highest uh, that is the greatest state for mankind. When God descends to be among you and you eat together with God and you're friends. Okay? That is the best situation you can hope for. Okay? And the tithing is part of that. You give to the church. Today, you, your central place of worship is the church. You bring to the church. You give to church. You also take from church. Well, today we're going to have our <laughs> uh, fellowship lunch. That is kind of like our fellowship offering. We enjoy together after we worship. Who is among us, eating together with us? God. Okay? Through His Spirit. Because the body and the blood of Christ connects God with man. Okay? And that's what uh, a portion of tithing should be. A part of fellowship offering. You give, you also take. Okay? You enjoy part of it. And you not only enjoy enjoy it, you can only enjoy it at a central place of worship. You cannot enjoy it at home. You cannot say, okay, I take part of it out and I eat at home. No. You are not allowed to eat within your gates. The tithe of your grain or a new wine or oil or the firstborn of your herd or your flock or any of your votive offerings which you vow or your freewill offerings or the contributions of your hand. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God will choose. You and your son and daughter and your male and female servants and the Levites who is within your gates and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your undertakings. That means you shall be blessed if you do so. In all your undertakings you shall rejoice. Okay? You will be blessed in the sense that 
everything you touch will multiply. Okay, you will have the hand of Midas. You touch you touch, touch something, it becomes gold. Okay, it can become a curse. If it really, you know, if both hands are hands of Midas, okay, and then what do you eat? You know, but uh, <laughs> um, you can't eat gold, right? You have to have something <laughs> that's not gold. But it's a metaphor. Okay, that means if you are really blessed, things you work on will multiply. It will get produce multiply. Okay, not ten times, but hundred times. Okay, and whether you can uh, differ by those rates is uh, it's not in, under your control. It's God's control. Okay, He can make the things you do earn ten times or a hundred times. You can earn ten times, barely make a living. You can get hundred times and really be blessed and share and glorify God. Okay, so which one do you choose? Well, according to the Bible, you do tithing. And you enjoy part of it, and you shall rejoice before the Lord in all your undertakings. And the tithing on the third year is kept as a local charity. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion in inheritance among you, and the alien and the orphan and the widow who are in your tongue shall come and eat and be satisfied, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So, every third year, the tithing is not brought to the central city of worship. You bring it to, you keep it in your own city. Put them together, form your own non-profit or uh, uh, charity organization, and, and give it to the the widow and the, the poor and the orphan and the Levites. So, every third year, you can write a check and say a gift for the pastor. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but that's part of it uh, because they have no portion from other income. Okay, and uh, it, it's a. Uh, uh, if you count it every 30 or so, about 3%, okay, that's for charity. The other 7% is for the church's uh, income. Um, that's the, the formula here. And uh, the next time the tithing uh, appeared, when uh, the Israelites asked for a king. Before Israelite had a king, they had a period of judges, you know. They, they entered the, the promised land in the year 1406, uh, okay. And they immediately entered the period of judges for 350 years. And the end of it is 1050 B.C. At this time, the people got tired of the judges' system. And why? Well, because the judges got corrupt, and uh, they, the, later, the earlier judges, they became judges because there is a need. And they rose to the situation. They were appointed judges and uh, they had the office. But later judges, they passed on the office, probably purchased the office with, by their wealth and by their influence. You can see nothing worthy is mentioned about them except that they have this many donkeys, this many cities, and this many sons. Okay. You, you can see that the earlier judges and later judges are different. So the people got tired of it. And even the best of the later judges, that's Samuel, who is also a prophet and a Levite, and who did priestly duties, his sons were not good. 
So the people said, "We want a king like the nations." Well,、uh, God was not very happy with this, because before this, did Israelite have a king? They did. God was their king, and、uh, how much did God、uh, want them to give to God? Ten percent. Was that their money? No, that was God's money to begin with. Okay,、uh, so in that sense, God takes no money from His people. Okay,、uh, but God can God be the protector of His people? Surely He can, but He has a condition: you have to be faithful to God. Right? When the Israelites were not faithful to God, God will allow the foreigners to come and rule over the Israelites, and then they will cry to God, "I'm sorry, I was wrong. We we remove the idols. Okay, please save us." Then God will appoint a person as a judge. He will be a military savior, and he will later, because he he got the reputation, he will judge the people. Okay. Ah,、uh, well, the people got tired of that system, and. Uh, actually, that system was the best Israel ever had. You know, the period of judges today, people say it's a period of darkness. Well, that's not quite true. It actually is the best governmental system Israel ever had. Okay, before they had a king. When you had an effective government, when you have the peace and safety, when you don't have to pay tax. Well, isn't that good? That is the best system ever had, right? But the people they don't want to be accountable to God. That's why they want a king who can protect them, even though when they are unfaithful to God. Okay, that's why God was not happy. God said, "Okay, I will give them, give you what you want. You want a strong, tall, handsome, and military、uh, brave soldier. I will give you Saul." However, later Saul showed that he was strong on the outside and weak on the inside, and the people regretted. And then God gave him a man according to God's heart, that is, David. Okay, who is much much better. However,、uh, we ought to realize that the period of judges is not a period of darkness. The later period is just as dark. Okay, just like the Middle Ages in the Western history is not the Dark Age. Don't be tricked by modern historians who want to term their own time as the enlightened time. They have to put down somebody else. Okay, and that was wrong valuation of history. Okay, in the Middle Ages, it has its darkness, but other times has their own darkness. Okay, and in the Middle Ages, the darkness was not due to the church. The church was the light during the Middle Ages. Okay, it was the barbarians that brought the darkness, and the the reason God allowed that is because the Christian Roman Empire corrupted by its power and wealth. Okay, so don't be tricked by the historians. Read the Bible, read the history, evaluate yourself. Okay, the period of judges was actually the best period, but the people were not faithful to God because of their sin. God gave them another form of government. Okay, here Samuel warned, if you want another king. 
Okay, besides God, okay, he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will make, take a tenth of your flock and yourselves will become his servants. In other words, you're going to pay another tithe, okay, and more. And this time, you're paying of your own money, okay? Not like paying God. It's not your money to begin with. This time, it's your money. And do you want that? When people say, we want that because we don't want to be accountable to God. We want to be safe even when we are unfaithful. And God said, go ahead. (laughs) So did the later governments charge them more than 10%? How much income tax did the United States government in the beginning say they want to charge 1%. How much do they charge now? (laughs) Once government have the right to tax you because they have the power, they will never end. Okay? Uh, That's why the state and the church are totally different systems. The church, your tithing is between you and God. Nobody will see you. Nobody will know you. I don't want to know you. Who tithes most Okay, because I removed my name from the signers of the checks. So I don't know. If there's any financial trouble happening to the church, I'm innocent. Okay, I wash my hand. Okay. <laughs> Even though we had a lot of trouble having to seek for the elders to sign the check, I don't want to put my name on it. Okay? Just want to be away from the scandal. Okay? And that's the church. The church is a voluntary, it's by heart. But the state is by power. Okay? And, and who loves power? Satan, okay? And once people have power, what will they do? They will use it to the maximum of their own benefit, okay? Until you check it, yeah. So, biblically, you can have a standard. What's the rightful due for the king, for the government? 10%, okay? So, if you have a civil government, you ought to pay 10% to them. And no more and no less, if you pay more, that's an oppressive government. If you pay less, that's lack of respect for government. Okay? So the best way of reform for this nation is to let the states tax the people 10% of your income. And the federal government tax the states 10%. The federal government does its own enumerated jobs, which is national defense and insurance of interstate commerce. And nothing more. Okay? And it's the state who does the rest of the governmental job. Okay? That's what the framers meant in our Constitution. If you want to under, you know, know that, go back and read the Constitution. Okay? But the reason they wrote it is because they had the Bible in their heart. Okay? Limited government is the best government. Okay? Here, we have a rightful. Government have a rightful due. Okay? 10%, but no more. Okay? Uh, so you may have a standard now for your whatever movements. That's not my job. My job is committed to the church, not, not to the state. But uh, you can have foundations here. The next time tithing appeared is an insurance that the studying and the teaching of the Word of God is carried out. In 715 B.C., uh, that's at the decline of the kingdom. Uh, th- there's a short revival at the King Hezekiah. The northern kingdom is already taken away at 723 B.C. Hezekiah 
restored the worship of Yahweh in the southern kingdom. And then uh, he apportioned the king's portion of his good for the burnt offerings, the uh, regular daily offerings, uh, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and for the new moons and the fixed festivals. Usually those come out the tithing that is given to the temple. The, uh, it, it is used for the livelihood of the priests, and the rest is to maintain the temple, you know, manage it, repairing it, and to offer these sacrifices. Usually that's from the priest's portion. But this king, who is a godly king, he said, I'm going to take, put in my portion for this. Okay. So once he have done a good example, like my, one of my former pastors, who was always the first to put the tithe in the plate, he's been a good example, then uh, all other people gave their tithe. Okay. He also commanded the people to, who live in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, and they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. The way the people of God live is that some people will be committed to the full-time study of the Word of God and the keeping and the teaching of the Word of God. They shall keep the Word of God themselves. They shall be obeying themselves. Then they're going to teach others and to obey. And once the people learn the word of God, learn the truth, they live righteously, then the whole nation will be blessed. And whatever your plan plant will reach a hundredfold. And uh, your whole nation will be rich. And all other nations will say you are blessed. That's the way to live for the God's people of God. And it's centered on the word of God being learned, studied, and kept, and taught. So, Tithing is to ensure that this happens. Okay? And another one is a tithing is a com- covenant commitment of the people of God. In the year 444 BC, after the uh, Israelite, Israelites were exiled to Babylon and then they came back after 70 years, they had three exiles and three returns. The third return was in 444 BC, uh, led by Nehemiah. And he led the returnees to make a commitment with God. And after a long prayer, confession of their parents, their father's sins. You know, you cannot save your fathers by confessing their sins. However, you need to confess their sins in order that God may lift the bad effects of their sin from you. Okay? The father's sins will influence children. Until they come to the Lord, they repent and they pray and confess their father's sins. And then they will be lifted. Okay? And they prayed. And then after that prayer, they made this uh, commitment. We will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priests and the chambers of the house of the God, and tithe of your ground to the Levites. For the Levites are they who receive the tithing all the rural towns. The priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithe, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithe to the house of the God, to the chambers of the storehouse. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our Lord. So the people will give their one-tenth to the Levites. The Levites will give their one-tenth to the temple, to the priests. And uh, uh, in this way, the house of God is run properly. And this commitment is... The, the way for people of God to uh, finish their prayers and confessions with a commitment and with an action. 
in giving. Okay. And uh, finally, in the Old Testament, tithing appeared as the gate for divine blessings. In around 400 BC, God debated with his people through Malachi, which means my messenger. This is probably a title, not a name. Uh, the people of God argued with God, and God argued back. I guess who were going to win the argument? <laughs> okay. The people said, uh, will a man rob God? God said, yes, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? You know, and in tithe and offerings. Remember, he differs tithe and offerings. Tithing is a based, basic acknowledgement that God is your God and king. Offerings are things beyond that, of free will, of goodwill, okay? of thanksgiving, of vows, and fulfillment of vows. Okay? So there are tithing and there are offerings. There are two different things. Okay? And God says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer of you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes." said the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land. And God is saying, if you don't pay tithe, you are robbing me, because that was my money. Okay? And what happened when you rob me? I am just. I have to punish you. And therefore, you are given a curse rather than blessing. You know, a curse is that Whatever you touch shrivels. A blessing is whatever you touch multiplies. Okay? So when you are cursed and then you, you work very hard, but you barely make a living. Okay? You lose your health, you lose your hair, and you lose your family, and then you lose your heart and you lose your faith. That is not the blessed way. That's not the recommended way of living for the people of God. The recommended way is you fulfill your basic duty, tithing first. And the rest is offering. It depends on how you feel, how do you do, you know, how does God do, do with you. But the tithing is the basic thing to start with. And that determines if you live in the curse or in the blessing. It's your choice. Okay. And God actually invited you to test him. You know. There was a time in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 7, the, the famous, you know, the, the, the virgin shall have a son, that part. The background is that King Ahaz was attacked. He just became a king. The nation of Judah was attacked by two northern nations, Israel and Aram, because they wanted Judah to join an alliance against uh, Assyria. However, God said, Assyria is my rod of wrath. I raised up Assyria to punish my people Israel. Therefore, Assyria will become stronger. And these two nations, they are the stubs of the torch. They are dying. You don't be afraid of them. Okay? And you don't join them. So Ahaz, trust me. Okay? If you don't have faith, test me. Ask for a miracle. Either in the highest or in the deepest. That means no matter how weird it is, ask for it. I will show you. What did Ahaz say? 
I do not test God. Now, that does sound like spiritual statement, because you shouldn't test God. But not when God invites you to test Him. Okay? When God invites you to test Him, test Him! Because that will give you faith. And then you can glorify God's name by praising Him. By praising Him. Okay? So, testing God uh, by yourself is wrong. But when God invites you to test Him, go ahead and test Him. See if He is real. Okay? And that ends the Old Testament. In the New Testament, I will just throw in one thing. Jesus said this to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. So, is there a dichotomy between the spiritual and the financial? Should you do one and neglect the other? No, you shouldn't. Jesus said it. Okay? And rather than saying that tithing is an Old Testament thing, it's a financial thing, it's uh, not re- relevant because in New Testament everything is spiritual, so we should not, you know, talk about it. Well, unless, we have to think about sp- theologically, unless a law is abrogated by Jesus... It continues. Okay? God did abrogate the law about food. That's why I can eat crabs. Okay? But that's... He did not abrogate tithing. Okay? Think about it. Let's pray. Okay? Dear God, our Father, thank you for giving us your word. And uh, we pray that your word will reach our heart and we will receive it as the eternal truth. And Lord, give us the true understanding, a united understanding based on the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God, uniting the Old and New Testament. And uh, let us think it, th- think it through biblically so that we will live and with a good understanding of right theology so we can live in the righteous way of life. We pray that we will behave and give um, rightfully so that we will live in your blessing rather than in your curse. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please visit us at dayministry.com or ablinbible.org for more teachings in audio or visual forms as well as other study materials. Don't forget to check us at youtube.com slash Abilene Bible Church for our TV series. God bless you. Recreation of the new day.